The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Hang on for a second. Are you also wearing the Keep Calm and Carry On shirt? I can't tell through the Skype video. No, I am wearing a Keep Calm and Rock On mm. t-shirt. Uh, this was the official t-shirt for the Science of Rock and Roll exhibit that appeared at the Ontario Science Center last year. So, uh, no, it's the official t-shirt of my museum exhibit. I am wearing the official t-shirt of uh, The Chive. No, you didn't. It's the Canadian one. Look, I'm, I'm pushing back here so you can see the whole thing. Keep calm and chive on. Yeah, you know what? I see so many chive bumper stickers and T-shirts. I can't remember who it was, but somebody told me that the chive... This, we're talking about a website called The Chive. Yes. Uh, which is a collection of uh, funny videos, uh, funny vid uh, w photographs. It's mostly wacky photos. It's mostly wacky photos and, and with lots of, of hot girls taking selfies in bathroom mirrors. Uh, they, I was told, um, grow somewhere around $30 million a year on, on merch. It doesn't surprise me. Uh, their headquarters is right there on Venice Beach. Oh, I didn't know it was in California. Yeah, there's, there's no way they're paying for some uh, beachfront property unless they're pulling in some big bucks. No, I mean, they get a little bit of advertising on their website, but we know how much exactly website advertising pays. So they're making all their cash through, um... Obviously, they're making it through 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 merch. Good for them. I mean, it's it's really kind of cool. I, there's not a weekend I don't go out in the summertime where I don't see somebody wearing a chive T-shirt or see something on the back of a car. So, good for them. And uh, well, you paid. Did you buy money? Uh, did I did, in fact, pay for this. I, I'm thinking that maybe we need to have something similar for the big show. I'm sure there's already a keep calm and geek on. <laughs> All right, hang on. Let's check. All right. Well, while you check, I'll start the show. Okay. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Rock stars after rock. The guitarist from Queen wants to save the world from a meteor attack. Well, the bassist from Blur has a lovely blue cheese that he'd like to sell you. Got 18 grand and a love of the band Rush? You could own the studio used to record some of Getty Lee's greatest hits. We'll look at the logistics of joining the 62 Mile High Club and uh, why we get sticker shock from the price of a 21st century sex robot. <laughs> Plus, a Geeks and Beats update on how you could win a sweet pair of RHA headphones for a buck and why we may need to upgrade our miracle travel mug of traveling. And now... Michael Hainsworth. So there's a rock star that wants to save the Earth from destruction by asteroids. Yes. Brian May of Queen, who is uh, a doctor in the field of astrophysics, wants to get together with a bunch of other people to apprise everyone of the danger of rocks floating in space, perhaps intersecting with the Earth's orbit, creating another situation like we had in Tunguska. Uh, back in 1908, or back in about 500 million years ago, when we ended up losing all the dinosaurs to that uh, asteroid that crashed into the Gulf of Mexico, or what was approximately the Gulf of Mexico back then. And they want to have Asteroid Day, this is what they're calling it, 
on June 30th. And the reason they want to have it on June 30th is because that's the date of the infamous Tunguska event, which is when that bull light blew up over Siberia, leveling all those trees over many, many, many square miles. And uh, people have been thinking, oh, this is a black hole colliding with the Earth. This is an alien spacecraft blowing up. It's an asteroid. It's a comet. Whatever. Doesn't matter. It was a very close call for the planet. And uh, we have been tracking asteroids only for a very short time in our existence. And uh, we, we better make sure that we know what we're doing. Otherwise, we're going to have to send Bruce Willis up there to deal with it. Yes. The Tunguska explosion knocked down 80 million trees over 2,150 square kilometers. And the shock wave from the blast was the equivalent of a 5.0 on the Richter scale. And it would have destroyed all of New York City had it not happened in the middle of Siberia. Yeah, it was a big one. It was a very, very, very big one. We were very lucky that it was in the middle of essentially Tega, um, Muskeg uh, uh, Swamp mm-hmm. in the middle of Siberia where there was nobody around. But you could hear it and feel it hun- and see it hundreds of miles away. And this could happen every once, you know, it does happen every once in a while. We had that one in, in Russia. I don't know what it is about Russia and asteroids and, and meteorites. Well, it is also the biggest country on the planet. So chances are if something's going to land, it's not going to be landing in Washington, D.C. It's it's definitely the biggest target, uh, with Canada being the second biggest target. Yeah. And we've got our own little UFO, unexplained phenomenon, whole little subculture going on as well of that sort of thing. Oh, we do. As a matter of fact, if you search for the Falcon Lake incident. My grandparents live 14 miles away from Falcon Lake, Manitoba. And uh, there is a very famous close encounter of the third kind that happened there. And a guy ended up uh, coming too close to to some kind of um, craft and ended up seeing something and getting burned. You can go to the uh, Paranormal Wiki for this on Falcon Lake incident, which occurred May 20th, 1967, uh, when uh, a Canadian had claimed that he had seen a UFO uh, near the Manitoba Lake, and that had been, as you point out, burned by the exhaust vent, which was covered by an ovular grid. Yeah, we don't know what that was, but I do remember, I'm old enough to just remember my grandparents being completely weirded out by this because it's not a very heavily populated area and everybody knows everyone. So the guy in question, well, everybody knew where he was and what he was all about and how much he drank and all that kind of stuff. So it's still a very interesting bit of UFO lore. I think what's more interesting than any of this is the fact that the guitarist for Queen has a doctorate in astrophysics. When you have an opportunity, with all your rock star riches, to follow your heart, you can do all kinds of things. You know, Brian May had always been interested in mathematics, in physics, and in astronomy. And when Queen basically packed it in after Freddie Mercury died, he was free to pursue some of these things. And now he's, he's a full-on doctor of astrophysics, and he sits on a number of boards, and he's involved with a number of universities and uh, institutions of higher learning. He has a number of very interesting PhD papers. He likes he likes to study asteroids specifically, as a matter of fact. I, I've read a couple of his papers, and he does talk about the orbital mechanics of asteroids. So the guy knows what he's talking about. And he's not the only one. There's Alex James of Blur, who is also a very big space head. He has um, 
involvement with the European Space Agency. He and Blur wrote a song for the Beagle 2 Mars probe. Uh, He sits on a number of very august uh, astronomy boards with big uh, institutions of higher learning in the UK. He's an artist. No, he's an astrophysicist. Is he an artist? No, he's an artist in residence at an astrophysicist faculty someplace. Yeah, at the University of Oxford, I'm reading. Yeah, that, right. Exactly. So, so, you know, when you have the money and the time, you know, you can do whatever you want. Alex James not only is a very well, is, is not only very well versed in the whole business of, of astrophysics, but he's a master cheesemaker. He is actually, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. He's got, a, he's got a farm in the Coxwolds where he makes cheese that is so good that it's actually used by the royal family. Not much of a cheese shop, is it? <laughs> I know. Camembert. Oh, we do have some Camembert. You do. Excellent. It's a bit runny, sir. Oh, I, I, I like it runny. Well, as a matter of fact, it's it's very runny, sir. No matter, no matter. Hand over la fromage de la belle France qui s'appelle Camembert, s'il vous plaît. I think it's runnier than you like it, sir. I don't care how excrementally runny it is. Hand it over with all speed. Yes, sir. Oh! What? The cat's eating it. Fazzy. <laughs> she, sir. No. And one of his one of his most famous cheeses is called Blue Monday. It's a blue cheese, of course, named after the New Order song. Of course, it's very. I've had his cheese. It's very good. That is fantastic. All this time to make a You're going to be at uh, the Foo Fighters show in London come Friday. Yes. And uh, you're going to be seeing Dave Grohl hobble around. <laughs> okay. Now, that's the th- in theory. Yes, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm, I'm going to London Wednesday night, and I have a meeting with the BBC. I have a meeting with my wife's publisher. I have a meeting with some people at Abbey Road. I have meetings with uh, there's somebody else I'm talking to. I can't remember which. But I'm supposed to go to the Foo Fighters show at Wembley Stadium on uh, Friday night, which will be apparently Dave Grohl's return to the stage after falling off the stage in Sweden and breaking his uh, fibula. Which, as uh, we report on geeksandbeats.com, he got himself to the hospital, made it all the way back to finish the set. Let me tell you, right now, I'm going to go to the hospital. What a rock star. I mean, that's really cool. Show must go on. He had uh, Taylor Hawkins, his drummer, and the rest of the band run through a whole bunch of cover versions until he had an opportunity to get back on stage. They wheeled him up on stage. They put him in a chair. They put some mics, uh, mic, uh, microphones around him, and he finished the show. That is a trooper. Uh, I've seen the, the tweet of the X-ray. That is quite a break as well. It's a good one. Um, if you go to my website, ajournalofmusicalthings.com, you'll actually see footage of him stumbling off the stage. Some people said, oh, he jumped. No, he didn't. He was walking forward during the second song of the set, which was Monkey Wrench, and he just walked off the stage and couldn't regain his balance in time and, and fell to the, to the floor. What a rock star. I know. Uh, You know, I like Dave. He's a very, very nice guy, and nobody likes playing live more than he does, obviously. 
Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. If you're a fan of the band Rush and you've got $18,000 and you don't know what to do with it, you could own their old recording studio. Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. Well, not their own recording studio, but one of their favorite recording studios. If you remember the uh, Tom Sawyer video, you see them recording it in, uh, in, a, in a studio someplace. That is Le Studio in Morin Heights, Quebec, which was for a time a very famous retreat for a lot of people, including uh, the police and David Bowie and Prince and, uh, and a whole bunch of others. A very hot Canadian state-of-the-art recording studio. It has fallen into uh, disrepair. It's been up for sale since 2008. Nobody's been looking after this thing on the forest. And it is in, in, in really bad shape. Whoever owns it now has decided that they want to unload it for the princely sum of $18,000. That is not a typo. That is not a misspeak. That is, in fact, true. You know, is that the, the contents of it or is that the entire property? Nah, well, they're, they're selling the property. There's the contents. There's, there's nothing inside. It's been stripped. Oh, see, I, I thought it'd be kind of neat to own the kind of gear that uh, incredible albums like Cat Stevens, Numbers, the Bee Gees, uh, Chicago recorded there in addition to Rush. Apparently, they put the thing up for sale a while back for uh, two and a half million bucks and nobody was interested. No, because the place has really fallen into hard times. Uh, if you go to my website, you'll see a, a, a GoPro camera walkthrough of the place. And that was done uh, earlier this month. And you'll see that there's really not much left of the place. I'm sure the roof leaks. I'm sure the walls are just full of mold. Well, then what do I want this for? I want the toys. Wasn't this, as you point out, one of the first uh, studios to install solid state logic mixing tables and radar digital recording equipment? This was the edge, the bleeding edge of technology. And it's all been stripped out? It has been. And the part of the reason is, well, first of all, this, this, this ancient gear is worth an awful lot of money to some people because it has a certain sound. And uh, people pay a lot of money to get these old mixing boards and, and outboard gear. Um, the problem is that it is very hard to maintain a recording studio of this size anymore because a lot of people can do exactly what you could do in the studio in your basement with the technology that we have today. It costs so much money to maintain a professional recording studio and to upgrade it with all the latest and greatest gear that keeps coming and coming and coming that uh, a lot of these places are going out of business. And uh, that's what happened to the studio. Nobody, they just couldn't. There were, there were no budgets anymore for record bands to, to rent a studio for $800 an hour or, or $1,500 a day or whatever it was. So uh, the place went bust. That's what happened. I, I wish I could. I haven't been able to find the real estate agent that's actually selling this, but I've seen a num uh, quite a bit of chatter online with people trying to put together enough money to, to buy this place. I don't know what you would do with it, given how much work it needs. But I can also tell you that the amount of interest this has generated, I have had more hits on this story on my website than any other story I have ever posted since I started using WordPress about 18 months ago. And that's because people think they're actually getting the gear. All they're getting is a hollowed out building with a leaky roof in the middle of the woods. That's exactly what you're getting. And uh, you don't want to go there now because it's black fly season. Don't fear the reaper. Take one, roll it. All right. One, two, three, four. If you've got a fever and the only prescription 
is aviation repair, then you need Bruce Dickinson. Earlier in the program, we were talking about things that you can do if you're a successful rock star. You can become an astrophysicist. You can get involved with the European Space Agency. You can learn to become a master cheesemaker. In the case of Bruce Dickinson, he is certified to fly a, a number of commercial aircraft, 737s, uh, 757s. He worked for a company called Astraeus, which was a charter company, and he flew uh, 757s around the world. Iron Maiden uh, rented or what we call wet leased, a, an aircraft from Astraeus painted up in uh, Iron Maiden logos and colors. Now, did he fly it? Around the world uh, as, as part of, of uh, what they called the, the, they called the plane Ed Force One. <laughs> did, do you really, though, want Iron Maiden rock stars with their history of tearing up hotel rooms? You, you really want to have one of them uh, in the cockpit? You, I, I would want to make sure that we got a, a blood alcohol test. No, no, no. I, Bruce is very serious about this. He is a, an accomplished commercial pilot. I talked to him about this uh, several years ago, and he is dead serious about this being his vocation. So serious. How serious? So serious that he got involved with a group of people to set up something called Cardiff Aviation, which works out of a uh, air force base or an old air base in Wales, uh, where they perform maintenance checks on commercial aircraft, uh, mostly uh, 737s, 757s, and 320s. And they do the A, B, C, and D checks. Now, these are regularly scheduled maintenance checks that all aircraft have to go through. And since setting this up nine months ago, they've had 43 aircraft come through and they've performed these checks. So, uh, and it's, I think, nine million pounds worth of business servicing these aircraft. Wow. So it's just interesting to see. Oh, is, is that no. Dickinson right now? No, let's see who it is. Hello. You've got a special offer from Marriott Hotels. Sorry, I, uh, I, I work for a media company. Can't help you. Oh, oh, that was a pollster. Ipsos Reed. Ipsos Reed. Yeah, you know what? That shuts them down pretty quickly when you tell them that you're a member of the media. It sure does. The uh, two studios, or studios, the two uh, aircraft hangars that they're they're using to, to retrofit these... Uh, the, not these... retrofit. No, no, not retrofit. They're maintenance checks. They were originally designed for the Vickers VC-10. Vickers VC-10 was a four-engine aircraft that was built by the Vickers Viscount Corporation in the UK in response to what Boeing and McDonnell Douglas was doing in the United States. Uh, never really took off anywhere, no pun intended. Uh, but it was for a while. The VC-10 was uh, what uh, the British Prime Minister used as his official jet. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a narrow-body aircraft. Uh, I don't know if anybody's flying them anymore. It's a narrow-body aircraft, about the size of an A320 or a 737 or 757. So it's, a, it's, it's a proper facility. You know who would have flown a VC-10? The Beatles on their way back from the USSR. That line, flying BOAC? They might have. British Overseas Airways Corporation, they were all about the VC-10. You're right, because 
at that time, BOAC, I believe, was a national airline owned by the British government, which meant that they would be incumbent upon using British-made aircraft. God save the Queen. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We've got a new co-producer. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Aaron Warner is his name. Uh, he was the one who shelled out $25. If you go to uh, geeksandbeats.com and uh, click the support the show link, you've got a few options. You could join the world's worst intern program, which makes it the world's worst intern program by you paying us $1 per episode to work on the show. You don't actually do anything to contribute to the show, uh, which is what makes it an internship. Or you could be a co-producer, which not only gets you your name on the album cover, we'll send you the album art work and uh, you can print it off and hang it in your parents' basement. Uh, And on top of that, uh, we will uh, thank you ever so much for that. And so Aaron is uh, our most recent co-producer. He says he's from Mississauga and he listens while issuing parking tickets overnight. (laughs) Okay. He says, a lot of people have told me I should get a real job. So here I am helping co-produce the big show. If you want to use this as something on your resume to get you a proper job, uh, by all means... Put it on LinkedIn. Put it on LinkedIn, and we will vouch for you. Now, in addition to um, dropping the 25 bucks that gets him the credit on the show, it also means he's got 25 tickets in the raffle for an RHA T10i noise-isolating high-fidelity in-ear headphone package from the Scots, which means you know it's not crap. I have a pair of RHA headphones. They're very good. So this is not crap. I will vouch for that. Now, he's not the only one, of course, who uh, is in the running as well. If you are a member of the world's worst intern program and we ding you for a buck per episode, uh, as we uh, have with uh, Craig Glassford, Uh, he uh, is the latest intern, Uh, uh, Blaine Bartlett, uh, Leslie Rasmussen in there, Uh, Dave McCauley, Barry Much and Lawrence Feller were previous uh, interns on the big show as well, along with a bunch of other people. Everyone who has ever been a member of the World's Worst Intern Program uh, will get a ticket included so that they can, in fact, uh, win this $250 pair of really slick headphones, which have a really neat um, changeable tuning filter. So if you like your treble or you like your bass, you just pop out the existing reference one, pop in the ones that you like, and it gives you the audio quality that you like, regardless as to what your EQ meter indicates. Yeah, this is something that's very important because everybody perceives sound differently. Maybe you can't hear high frequency as well as the next person. Maybe you are sensitive to mid-range or or you want more bass. It's very important that you be able to find a set of headphones that allows themselves to tune to your your specific neurological needs. Swear to God. We, yeah, we, we've got two more weeks to go on the big show if you would like your chance to win this fantastic pair of in-ear headphones. Uh, the uh, big winner will be announced a July 1st Canada Day episode. Meantime, Geeks and Beats update on the GNB Mug Tour 2015, which if you go to the website and you choose to uh, support the show by buying some of our swag, uh, we've got uh, people on the Intertron who are uh, showing off their mugs all the way around the world. Okay, there's Andrew Pop, who is using the Miracle Travel Mug of Traveling in St. Martin. I recognize the beach. I believe that is Great Bay in St. Martin. Because you're looking at the, you can see that the cruise ship, you can see the cruise ship terminal in the distance. So I think that is uh, Great Bay in Phillipsburg. And Scott Coates is sipping uh, from his G&B mug in Brunei. 
I was close to Brunei earlier this year. I decided not to go because it's a completely dry country, and um, it would take about eight hours on a bad highway to get there. And the first thing that I would need after suffering that much would be a drink. Um, it was not available, so I decided not to go to Brunei. So if you go to geeksandbeats.com, you can get the Miracle Travel Mug of Traveling, which is a fantastic uh, insulated cup, which you use all the time. Mm -hmm. I do. And wifey had one. I got her one. And somebody at work stole it from her. I don't blame the thief. These are the greatest travel mugs ever created. Um... I, I think we got some competition on that front, though. Oh. Because we got this Indiegogo campaign for the Yekup, the world's first connected smart cup. They were looking to raise $40,000, and they're about halfway through with five days left. No, with 35 days left. Oh, you're right. In five days, they've managed to raise 21 grand, almost 22. You warm your drink, you get notified when it's ready, and you can use it to charge your phone. I think we need one of these. I think we need a GNB labeled one. No, I think what we ought to do is we should take some of our uh, Patreon money and, and throw them, uh, you know, something. What can we get? Well, for 100 bucks, you get a Yeecup limited edition. Uh, exclusive teacup. But. but if you're willing to drop $700, you become a distributor with 10 of these cups. Uh, and, uh, of course, there's limited to only four available. So we could be one of the four distributors. No, I don't want to do that. Of this. You get actually an, an iOS, a smartphone notification when your beverage is ready. And there's a special selfie button on the cup so that you can use it as the shutter button on your smartphone. I'm just trying to figure out these these investment levels here. What's this Yeecup family pack? You get four times Yeecup for just two ninety nine for you and your family. Oh, I see. Okay, so for three hundred bucks US, we get four of them. They also have a mini cup, which is only eight ounces. Yeah, no, I, I know. Well, if you're gonna go big, go home. You, you need a tub o coffee in the morning. Listen, I do, I really do, and it turns out that our miracle travel mug of traveling is the exact size that I need. Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call three two three three nineteen nerd. This is Jerry from Toronto. And uh, I'm just wondering, Alan, you might know some of this. As I grow older, um, I realize my body doesn't handle the concerts the way they used to. And so a few years ago, I invested in an excellent set of earplugs to make going to concerts and then waking up the next day a lot more pleasant. Uh, I went to see Ride last week at the Danforth Music Hall, and the show was incredible, loud, but uh, my ears were great. And then uh, after, uh, after the concert, went out to the pub and lost my earplugs. So my question, Alan, is do you wear earplugs for concerts and what brand would you recommend? Many thanks uh, from your number one world's worst intern. Have a great day. Bye. As somebody who goes to an awful lot of shows and as somebody who is very sensitive about hearing, because, listen, if I can't hear, I can't really do my job properly. And like a lot of people, I abused my hearing when I was younger. So what, I want to save whatever I've got. So... Uh, there are a couple, any kind of ear protection at a concert is good. I have two levels. One is very expensive. I actually went to an audiologist. I had special earplugs molded to my ear canals. It cost me a couple of hundred bucks, and they work brilliantly. They filter out all the echo. They filter out all the highs. They filter out all the uh, vibration bass. 
they're very, very good. However, if you go to Shoppers Drug Mart or any other drugstore and look for earplugs, the kind, the foam earplug that you can buy, you can get like a, a dozen of them in a, in a little plastic case for like six bucks. Those are also very good. You just have to be very careful about how you insert them because they're a bit finicky. But like I said, any hear, hearing protection is better than none. So if you want to go to your doctor and say, take me to an audiologist and have some custom earplugs uh, created for me, great. But I would just go to Shoppers Drug Mart, get one of these things, put them in the car, your purse or wherever, and just have them handy the next time you go to a show. Seriously. Earpiece.com will sell you upwards of $185 earplugs, basically, uh, that uh, filter out, to your point, uh, all of the high ends that tend to, to ruin your hearing on the long term, that are custom fit for your earball. The alternative, they've got an $18 pair uh, that call the Earpiece HD that uh, have five-star reviews so far, and uh, they have come in a little case as well so that you can you know, carry them around. You don't have to worry about losing them. And there seems to be a few of them. No, they're very, you know, I, I, I know the, the company. They're very good. And like I say, anything is better than nothing. And if you've never used proper hearing protection for a concert, you don't know what you're missing. Because it doesn't just make things quieter. It, it's not so much that. Is that it gets rid of all the stuff that makes listening to live music really annoying. Like the echo and the reverb and, and the high end and the buzzy middle and the, and, and the booming bass. It smooths everything out and you can have a much better experience. If you've got a question about life, music, that suspicious rash... Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. He is not a doctor. He just plays one on the radio. Want to write for the big show? Go to geeksandbeats.com slash newsroom to learn about how you can be a part of the world's most popular podcast. Do it for the glory and the love of the game. If we paid you any less... You'd be paying us. Geeksandbeats.com. Skirting unpaid intern laws for over 75 years. The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Who is it? It's the plumber. Okay, in the past... You, sir, have been accused of directing this show towards pornography and things of that nature. I have to admit, this one's on me. Yes. So all you people on Twitter <laughs> who have been harshing me about my apparent predilection towards pornography, this is not my fault. This is an actual Geeks and Beats story. But uh, there is a, it's an Indiegogo that's doing this? Or is it... No, it's Pornhub. No, no, no. But who's... Uh, which... It is Pornhub that, that's launched it. But who's their, who's their Patreon? Uh, how are they raising the money is what you're asking? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but it's an awful lot of money. It's um, uh, $3.4 million that they need. So they're turning to their fans because they want to launch two, uh, quote, sexplorers into space to enjoy each other's company on a carnal level porn stars Eva Lovia and Johnny Sins which I don't I, I don't know why I, I don't think that's his real name oh dear I I clicked on the wrong oh dear hang on I have to call oh you clicked I, on the I wrong link did you ah, oh, 
Easy now, easy now. In 24 hours, the crowdfunding campaign raised just $8,000, and so they have 60 days to raise the remaining $3,392,000, or the funders will get their money back. So this must be a Kickstarter campaign, because Indiegogo does not require you to actually meet your goal to be able to get the money. It's actually, no, it's actually Indiegogo. I found it. It is Indiegogo? It is okay. Indiegogo. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So you clicked on the link. Uh, I found it. I found no, I didn't. I found another link. I, 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 well, yeah. Is this a link that we're going to end up putting on the website and then therefore it's going to get... No, no, this link is okay. The one that I clicked on by mistake, I have to delete from my browser history. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> if you were at work, you would. Actually, you are, considering it's the home studio. Considering where I am, but I have, do have a wife in the house, and, and the last thing that I want her to do is see what I've got on, on my Chrome browser history. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So where, where are they going to do this? Because you, you sent me the email saying, do, do you think we should talk about this on the show? Well, yeah, I'm thinking it's, it's a technology and, and, and uh, pop culture thing, which is what we specialize in here. And But they're not going to be going to the International Space Station for this. Uh, aren't they? No, I guess not. No, no, I can't imagine the ISS would permit them to film an adult film. Mm, probably not. The Russians would. Um, Pornhub says the funds will go towards training and equipping a crew, buying space-appropriate video gear, and consulting with scientists. So it doesn't actually say how they're going to get up there and, and do their thing. Well, we're reading from QZ.com, which is taking a very straight-laced approach to this whole thing. But uh, according to this article on Slate that I'm also reading, the, the two of them are not really talking about what the ultimate plan here is uh, to join the 62-mile high club. Now, they could talk to Richard Branson. This could be a Virgin Galactic thing. Couldn't they? Right. They could talk to Elon Musk. It could be a SpaceX project. Well, what about the Vomit Comet? You know, just that thing that gives you the simulation of weightlessness. Yeah, that's not in space. That's, you know, I was thinking the same thing. It's the, the parabola, uh, the uh, parabolic uh, aircraft flights that, that simulates weightlessness for several seconds at a time. This is an interesting story also from the perspective of NASA, because when the first woman went up in space for her three-day mission... It was reported that NASA had pulled her aside in a quiet room and discreetly had asked her, for the three days you're going to be in space, will 100 tampons be enough? <laughs> really? Like, how nerdy wow. is NASA? I think somebody should... Do they not have Google there at the Kennedy Space Center? Okay, Vomit Comet, the maximum period of zero G... Is 25 seconds. Well, there's a joke in there somewhere, and I'm not going to say it, but I don't think that's going to be enough, ultimately. I would, for a porn film, no. Well, maybe a Vine video? Uh, yes. Now, listen, all they said was they wish to have sex in space. Okay. That seems to be the... It seems to be the, uh, the goal here. So it doesn't say that they have to, you know, finish anything. Well, you know, and the question is, because this is being described as the first humans to have sex in space. But back in 1991, astronauts Jan Davis and Mark Lee flew on a mission together. They were a married couple, still are, as a matter of fact. But NASA won't tell us anything about what may or may not have gone on while they were up there. Yeah, that has been a source of conspiracy theories for quite some time. Listen... What would you have done? 
So if you would like to contribute, no, no, to no, the, An- no, no. Answer my question. What would you have done? What would I have done? Yeah, I, I, I would have done probably exactly what NASA is doing, which is telling you absolutely nothing about what I did or did not do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. We'll stick with that story. All right. But have you seen the funding levels that you can get for this uh, this Pornhub thing? No, no, I haven't. Oh, you have it. Okay. Well, you can go all the way up to one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. At the that is called the. Uranus level, or Uranus level, I guess you would say if you're a proper scientist, mm-hmm. uh, it wins the funders, the spacesuits worn by the performers, including their underwear. We all know that this is never going to happen. This is simply a big uh, publicity stunt by Pornhub. Good on them. But uh, let us not speak of it anymore. It's not going to happen. Uh, the other topic that you were often... Um chastised for on Twitter for bringing up uh, is um, turning things back to sex robots. Oh, here we go. Hello, hello. Hello, Mr. Powers. Mr. Powers. Care to have a little fun? Care to have a little fun? No, actually, I uh, I have to save the world. Who put this in the lineup? Oh, gee, I have no idea who put this in the lineup. Not me. Sex dolls that talk dirty. The future of artificial intelligence, uh, according to Mashable.com. Uh, sex robots are no longer just a concept to be spoofed in Austin Powers movies. They aren't. All right. This is out of the New York Times that uh, Mashable is quoting. Uh, Matt McMullen, the creator of particularly expensive um, adult toys, is in the process of developing a sex doll that will be capable of blinking, opening its mouth, and having a conversation with you. I'm not going down this rat hole. I don't think that's what you want these types of toys for. No. Intellectual no. stimulation. <laughs> no. Hmm. You want... No. <laughs> Uh, McMullen is, according to the New York Times, first focusing on developing a convincing artificial intelligence along with a robotic head that can blink. Now, you've heard of this thing called the Uncanny Valley. No, but okay. The Uncanny Valley is um, a chart. It's a graph. And if you were to graph your brain's perception of what it's looking at when it comes to human-like creations, cartoon-like humans would score very, very high in the, I'm, I'm convinced this is not a real human, but I'm willing to accept it. Okay. And then when you get very close to actual humans, the uncanny valley is the dip in the graph where it hits the bottom, where your brain says, I know this is supposed to look like a human, but there's something about it. It's really close to looking like a human, but my brain won't let me believe it is. And then the other side of the valley is is back to the idea of a, of a cartoon-like thing. This was a concept that was first written about back in 1970. But the issue is, is that if you've got this um, Austin Powers-like sex robot that can blink if it's not blinking at the right speed your brain is going to go that didn't seem like a real blink to me and you're not going to be able to suspend your disbelief i understand that there's always you know for example you go to disneyland you see some of the uh, animatronics that they've got and um there are moments where you buy into what you're seeing you know abe lincoln on stage or whatever 
and then mm-hmm. he'll make some kind of non-human move, and you pick up on it almost instantly, but you can't necessarily put your finger on it. Right. I had a similar experience when my daughter was born. If you had shown me an animatronic baby, I would have said, oh, that's an animatronic baby. Real babies, infants, like first newborns, they they don't have much muscle control. And so their movements are very robotic-like. And it was one of the neatest things that I saw in my daughter when she was first born was that, wow, if if you had told me this was a real baby, if I didn't know it was my own kid, I would have sworn it was a Disney animatronic creation. Really? That's interesting. The uh, robot that we're talking about here, uh, according to Emma Cott in the New York Times, and I keep bringing up the New York Times so that we can sort of add a little sense of credibility to the story, uh, it comes from the company Realbotics, and the head will cost $10,000. Wait, 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 wait. You can buy the head separately? Yes, in two years. That's when it'll be commercially available. Yeah, that's not my real question. You could buy the head separately. Everything else would be, I suppose, an accessory. Oh, it's like buying a Porsche then. So you buy a 911 and then you max it out with all the options. The full body, which hasn't even begun development yet, is expected to cost anywhere from thirty to $60,000. So if you want an Austin Powers level sex doll robot, it's going to cost you $70,000 US dollars. I wonder what the warranty is. Ooh, yes. What is the warranty and what's your return policy? <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.